All right, good morning. Welcome to Denton North Church. Real quick, a few things to get out of the way if you are visiting with us for the first time. We have restrooms uh, inside. Just make sure you wear your mask. Um, so yeah, restrooms inside. If you uh, need to use as one person in the bathroom at once, please. Uh, yep. Okay. Building closes at 11. So if you're going to hang out around here, Use restroom before that. Also, make sure that if you leave for lunch, uh, that you don't leave your stuff around here. We picked up a lot of stuff last week. Um, don't want to have to be a lost and found. Uh, if I pick it up, I'll sell it on Craigslist. Uh, make some good money. Support myself. So, uh, yeah, please don't leave your stuff. Just take it with you. Um, if you're walking around, we uh, ask that you wear a mask. Stay away from people uh, uh, unless they're your roommates or people you know, that kind of thing. Spread out as far as you can. But if you're sitting down, um, particularly eating and drinking, you're welcome not to uh, to wear your mask. All right. All right. So a couple things. Um, we are about to have our leadership conference at the end of October. And this is a seminar that we do every year annually for anybody in our church that leads in any capacity. And this year, we're going to be talking about organizational culture and the importance of actually thinking about and changing your culture as an organization. And so this is going to be a really interesting one this year. However, obviously, we're not going to be all together like we do, bring in a thousand people and all be in one building. We're going to live stream this from the Garland Church. For those of you who don't know, we're a part of uh, five other churches in the DFW area, as well as 10 campus ministries. So we are going to be live streaming that from Northeast Garland. All right. And it'll be a half day thing instead of a full day. And um, so it'll either be nine to like one or maybe one to four, something like that. And we really want you to do a couple things. One, get with some people, maybe from your small group, uh, maybe a team that you lead. And whether that's on Zoom or in person and uh, watch that together so that you can actually discuss that you can you know, talk through some things, all that good stuff. So that's going to come the end of October. It'll be a Saturday. All right. And that is our leadership conference. We'll have uh, all of our different churches together uh, during that time uh, with their various leaders and things like that. So October, good. October 24th. 24th. Yes, October 24th. Not Halloween, thankfully. Um, although Halloween is going to be pretty weird this year. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's our leadership conference. Okay. I think that's everything. Anybody else remind me of something that I'm supposed to announce? We're trying to keep as few people up here as possible for announcement stuff so that people aren't spitting their spit into a mic and getting spit. Come back at them. No, we're good. Okay. Well, we're going to continue on uh, in our sermon series. Oh, one more thing. Also, we have a ton of chairs. If you are sitting on the ground, if you are uncomfortable, Lots of chairs, okay? Either there's two left over here or in the back of my truck, that maroon one over there, um, there are a lot of chairs in the back there. So if you want to sit down and you are on the ground, please get chairs. Be comfortable. We've got at least a two and a half hour long sermon today. So you're really, really going to want to get comfortable. All right. So that's good. Yep. All right. So we're talking about the basics of Christianity. Same as we started with uh, last week. We're going to be out of John today uh, in our two verses here. And the topic today kind of continues on from what we talked about last week. And what we talked about last week was who is Jesus not? Okay. 
And all of these topics have come from you guys, every single one of them. You decided that this is something that you want to talk about. We're splitting up this sermon series in kind of three major parts. The first one, who is Jesus? What is Christianity? The second one is who are we as a community, as a body of Christ? And third, who am I as an individual Christian? We're going to spend a little bit less time on that because we've done an entire sermon series within the last year on Christian identity. Uh, but our source texts are going to be uh, all of the New Testament, all right? So Acts mostly when we talk about community, the epistles when we talk about who we are, and the Gospels when we talk about who is Jesus. Um, so we're going to continue that on. We talked last week about who is who is Jesus not. That's still very hard to say and kind of complicated. I definitely had some questions about that, uh, but you're welcome to ask me more. Remember, in these basics of Christianity, our goal is not sort of to teach basic theology. That's not really basics. Theology, anytime we're talking about some of the more difficult philosophical ideas about God and about who we are, that's not going to be easy. So the goal is not to kind of make you walk away with, uh, you know, necessarily these sort of stumping, hard, difficult questions as much as they are about to give you kind of some sense of this is the basics of Christianity. This is who we are. This is what it is. And how do I think about that at a really basic level? All right. So if you've got really tough questions, that's fine. Uh, but you might want to ignore some of those. Uh, I know that I don't want to say something like that, but I think it's important that we have the basics down before we start inching into territory that people have been debating and arguing for a long time. That's actually a way for us to ignore the stuff we ought to be doing anyway, the basic stuff, uh, by having our brains wrapped up with all these ideas and thoughts and arguments, uh, rather than just uh, take the gospel for what it is at its simplest place uh, and be able to uh, decide whether we believe those things uh, at a basic level. Yeah, we good? On track with that? Sure. It's so hard to read you guys when you're so spread out and we're outside. I mean, it's beautiful out here. It's weird. It's great wonderful. I hope you just enjoy being out here. Uh, when the train comes by, okay, which it will, you know what? I'm going to give you a worship thought now so that when the train comes by, we're not just, I mean, we will be in silence, <laughs> uh, but you'll actually have something to think about. I was going to do my worship thought sort of at the end, but I want to do it now. So second Peter three, I think this will be a good prep for what we're talking about today as well. So second Peter Chapter three, uh, someone asked me this week why we're not doing music. Uh, the main reason is because music is kind of difficult right now. We're just sort of figuring out how to do this basic thing since we've been on uh, Zoom for six months. Uh, we will start doing that once it seems appropriate. But also, this is a great time for us to think through how to do worship without being obsessed with music and being sung at. Okay, so we have a team of people uh, that are our worship team, and we met last week after church. We'll meet again this next week. And really, our goal is to think through how do we do worship in this context? How can we think about really changing the way our church does worship? And so we're really going to be uh, presenting some things to you. Our idea is to first really think about it kind of at a cerebral level uh, rather than just add in a whole bunch of practices and start doing random things, but to try to really redirect our thinking as a group on what worship is and to begin, hopefully, I think, uh, you know, introducing some rituals, some meaningful practices that we as a church uh, can can adopt and think through. Again, that's not so music dependent. All right. So as we be think as we are thinking about that, as 
um, you know, you're kind of hearing some of our ideas. Hopefully you'll practice that individually. You know, it's not just a corporate thing. Hopefully our corporate worship informs our individual worship and vice versa. That should be, uh, I think, uh, sort of, um, I don't know, just a known thing, right? So don't get too sad because we're not singing. We'll do some different other things uh, that will hopefully lead you in thinking through that. But I just uh, am going to go back to something very simple practice that we've had for years, which is just a thought about worship that will help you um, kind of gather your thoughts, direct your thoughts to something really specific. And so if we got the train come through or the fire trucks uh, pass by, uh, you guys can uh, you can even really do communion during that time if you want to. Uh, why not? You know, I'm not trying to be really practical and efficient and say, let's just add in a bunch of stuff here. I'm just saying, why not? I mean, it's it's fine. But if that doesn't happen while I'm talking, then we'll wait to the end and we'll all take communion together. Is that too unclear? Is that pretty clear? Yeah. So we got the fire truck. We got the train. Deal with it. Take an opportunity to think through what I'm about to share with you. And then you can take your communion. So in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. That is not the verse that I wanted to uh to read it's a good thought though so i'm gonna go with it there's a couple of these verses that talk about uh god fulfilling his promises and that he's not slow someone find the passage the one where he's talking about god is not slow in fulfilling his promises um he'll actually do that but his slowness that some uh, you know, expect to be slowness is actually his patience with, with mankind, with humankind for uh, their salvation. And I'm just thinking about how so many of us want our world to change right now. And we want to change quickly and we want things done. But I've never considered for a moment that God and his timing, his timing is right. Now, I want to be very careful here because some maybe well-meaning and maybe ill-meaning Christians have often uh, stunted progress in growth by using this idea that, well, you know, when the timing is right, God will do something. And so I'm not trying to make that uh, an excuse. But what I am trying to say is that the scripture seems to talk about God not working immediately or, or fast and connects that idea to his slowness about being patient with people for their salvation. You got the scripture? Three, nine. Three, nine. I was pretty close, right? Come on. Six uh, verses away. All right, I might as well read it then if it's that close because I've already got it open. All right, three, nine. So the Lord, oh, oh yeah, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. Uh, by the way, this is definitely a guide to determining uh, how long the earth has been in existence. <laughs> So if you're wondering about that, to complete overlapping six days, 6,000 years. Okay. <laughs> not funny. Apparently no one knows that. All right. Uh, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So I want you to think about that difficult idea. What in the world does God's slowness in acting uh, for things have to do uh, with his patience and, and care and concern for people uh, not perishing, not wanting um, anybody 
not to be able to know who he is. We talked about that last week at the end of our last sermon, that God is a God of all people throughout all times. He's not trying to just get something done quickly here for a specific group of people who he really loves dearly. All right. So that's your thought. You can kind of think through that uh, and hopefully go to God. What does God, what is your uh, patience and slowness mean for people uh, to be saved? What does that mean? All right, cool. So here we are. And we're going to be in John today, like I said. Um, The sermon title today, again, we've pulled most of these directly from uh, your thoughts, is Christianity is not just another world religion and or worldly religion, however you want to think about that. Christianity is just is not just another worldly religion. All right. So societies, cultures have a tendency over time uh, to move away from their religious foundation to create their own sort of societal religion. This makes sense because we do this with ourselves. Uh, As we grow older, uh, we become sort of less and less, many of us interested in the core of a religious belief or, uh, and some of this is a little bit like drops way down because like in your teenage years, it's like many of us just sort of disappear entirely from faith. And then as we come back, we add in a whole lot of our own ideas and experience on top of the gospel. And that becomes for us sort of like our version of Christianity. This is a pretty natural process because the older you get, the more opinionated you get, the more ideas you have, experiences you have, the more you meet people. And so you add on to that. Well, societies, cultures are a lot the same way. Uh, You know, when American society started off, it was very important for us to have a Christian sort of base because that's what we knew. A lot of people were on board. They didn't have a lot of an identity themselves. But as time has gone on, we've sort of Eh, loosened up on a lot of those things and societies tend toward creating their own sort of religious systems roughly or loosely based on a world religion right just want to throw that in idea uh, out there um probably a really obvious way of looking at this was like roman society where roman society uh, at the very beginning you know was just roughly polytheistic believed somewhat in these greek gods uh and as time went on Um, those became less important and any nation they conquered, they would just sort of accept their gods on in, accept their practices to the point where even, uh, you know, polytheism for a long time in the way it was practiced in Roman and Greek society was more about the gods sort of giving people something in return in exchange. But Caesar, I mean, out of nowhere was just like, yeah, I'm probably a god. And people were like, hmm, this had never happened before. No one had really paid much attention to this, but they were willing to accept it because why not? You know, it's just a different idea and uh, sounded pretty interesting. Let's just go ahead and worship Caesar. People liked Caesar. He was all right. It's a really rough way of telling uh, Roman religious history. The idea in scripture for this is a word and it's a weird word called syncretism. All right. And the idea is just you combine a whole lot of beliefs and they just kind of picked and pulled from different sources. And then we can call it whatever we want, but more or less, they're just picked and pulled from a variety of different sources. The word syncretism actually comes from the place called Crete, Cretan, Crete, Crete. Yeah. Little small island off of Italy. And the original word just basically meant people get together, combine their ideas in defense of some other higher power 
or, you know, far out society. In this case, and particularly in the 17th century, the Ottoman Empire was trying to conquer Crete. Crete got together with a lot of different powers and uh, combined their ideas so they could fight off the Ottoman Empire. It lasted for a little bit, but not for too long. All right. So we're trying to fight off all these powers. The roughest estimate I can give you of this from a sociological standpoint is it's kind of like when wasps got together with non-white wasps. You guys know what wasps are, right? Not like the bee that stings, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, right? So if you're from, you know, um, England, uh, Wales, you know, a little few Scotland, tiny little section there. In the 1900 census, those were really the only white people. If you were Irish, you certainly weren't white. Okay, um, you were other non-white Eastern European. You weren't really white. Well, as people started to come into U.S. society in the 1900s, particularly during immigration time, white people started to say, you know what, let's just invite these European people to consider themselves white. Uh, these Eastern European people, these Irish people, we'll, we'll consider them white so that we can fight off all of these Latinos and Asians and all these other people coming into our society. That's like the nearest example I can give of it of syncretism, like in a political context, where you're basically just adding people into your group because they're a little bit less bad than the people you're trying to fight against. You can kind of see yourself sort of trying to, um, you know, bring them into your way of thinking. Uh, this has very much happened, as hopefully you've read in those articles that I sent you, which are really, really helpful in Christianity Today in America. Okay? We've allied up with a lot of people who don't have even remotely a kingdom perspective in their mindset so as to fight against other people who we think are even worse, okay? So whether that's, you know, uh, right-wing gun-toting nut jobs, all right, or, you know, super liberal, all cops are terrible, awful people, anarchists that think everybody but them are racist, Whatever it is, we've allied ourselves as Christians often with the society around us. And politics and national ideology is one of the biggest ways we've become syncretistic in our beliefs. We've pulled in a lot of beliefs from the surrounding culture and just sort of adopted them as Christian beliefs. All right. And so really, if you look at the New Testament, guys, this is what's happening in almost every church, but it, particularly in, in Corinth. What Paul and the other authors are writing against is syncretism, is them not understanding the basics of Christianity, the basics of the gospel, and instead taking Christianity and then adding on a whole lot of other stuff to make it a little bit more palatable to them. All right. And that really, if there's one major thing that the New Testament is talking about outside of the idea of uh, racial and ethnic issues with, you know, Jews and Gentiles, it's this topic of what's called the gospel plus, adding things on top of the gospel and coming out with something entirely different, okay? Now, we make a lot of excuses for why we do this, um, and we'll get to that in just a second. But I wanna give you kind of two ideas here uh, that I think will help us counter syncretism and maybe just help think about it in general. Uh, syncretism is and will continue to be a major faith killer for Christians because ultimately what you have now is a caricature of Christ, a caricature of Jesus. But you're not really living out a life uh, that is kind of kingdom focused and kingdom motivated. All right. So the first thing comes from John here. 
And there's really just two passages here, John 10 and John 12. And this is coming directly from Jesus. And um, I, I could go into a long, I guess, rant about Christians and culture. I've studied this as a sociologist, as a Christian for a long time. I don't want to go too deep into this. But just to simply say, John is a great place. Uh, to look through, to figure out how Jesus thinks about the world around him. Uh, John talks about the world like 50, 60 times, whereas the rest of uh, the Gospels mention it four or five times. Not that you can't glean things from it, but John talks a whole lot about Jesus's relationship to the world. The soci- however you want to think about that, societies, culture, talks a lot about this. And if there's something that you're interested in kind of thinking through, uh, this this would help. So, Number one, John 10 and verse 10. I think this is such an important passage when we think about how Jesus reacts, thinks about the world around him. John 10 and verse 10. And I'm not going to use the context much here other than just to uh, talk about these passages because uh, I'll let you go back and kind of think through some of the um, the passage yourself. John's particularly tricky because it, the whole book is organized in these really creative ways uh, that uh, sort of roughly uh, kind of overlap with the Jewish festivals and ways of thinking and major themes. Something like uh, how to read the Bible book for book could be really helpful if you're going to actually kind of study through John. And I would say also uh, that uh, this is a great starting place for people who are really curious in Jesus himself to read through John, kind of understand it. Uh, John's pretty easy and accessible uh, in terms of talking about who Jesus is and not getting into a lot of the the more difficult theology of Christianity and things like that. All right, so John 10 in verse 10. Here we go. The thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is a major idea in John is that Jesus is saying he's coming to the world to give it life to breathe life into the world. Over and over and over again, uh, this is what Jesus says his mission is. uh, It's coming to the world, giving it life. All right? That's kind of an insult. Uh, I don't think, you know, he means it um, as an insult, but it's kind of an insult to tell people who are already living that I'm going to give you life, right? I mean, like living is kind of the hardest thing we figure out how to do, like staying alive. Maybe not many of you uh, who it's more like thriving. You know, if you're in like a fairly rich society, you're not worried. But the vast majority of people, like their number one daily activity around the world is just sort of staying alive. It's like if they can get to the end of the day and then like still be alive, it'd be kind of cool. Right. Yeah. Good thing. And so he's saying, I've come to bring life to the world that's already living. Think about the passage where he talks about if you forfeit your entire soul, what have you gained to gain this world? Jesus is saying, there's no life in this world apart from me. Now, that sounds like a terrible thing, an awful thing. um, But there's plenty of examples of this even in in media today, right? Westworld, great example. Matrix, great example. Of there being a hidden life, a real life that exists outside of everybody else's knowledge of that life. That they feel very good and okay with the life that they're practicing, but in reality, is not life at all. They're simply a robotic creature. They're in the matrix asleep, but their mind is alive. All of these examples. And there's something, I think, even innate to human uh, you know, reality that we start to question, are we really alive? Are we conscious? What's happening? 
unconscious. There we go. Uh, what is our ultimate reality? And Jesus is saying ultimately that the, the world is dead apart from him giving life to it. Now you can kind of think about that in a lot of ways, that that we're just literally alive for a moment, dead the next, that there's no sort of eternal aspect to it, that there's no important sort of spiritual underlying understanding of the world around us. We can say that literally there's nothing in this world that's meaningful apart from what Jesus does. People have taken this and kind of thought about it in a lot of different ways. But the basic truth of the gospel is that apart from Jesus, this world is not alive. And this can be really challenging because most of us live day to day and live fairly pleasant lives. The world around us looks fairly alive with animals and people. And so why get Jesus? Well, if you can't kind of get this first and most beginning point of what Jesus has come to do, it's going to be very hard not to be syncretistic in your beliefs because it's much easier for us to add Jesus on to our understanding of the world around us and our experience of life than to make him the focal point of that life, that he's the only one that can bring that life. It's just going to be easier to say, Jesus will add you on as one of many givers of life, many ways to do life, many things that improve life, than it is to say and believe that actually only life comes through him. And not just in an eternal sense, but a daily sense, a here and now sense that Jesus is the one that comes to give life. This is actually a really exciting and important uh, truth, but it's also really a hard one to believe. And most of us have trouble living like this is actually true. But the, the, the main idea of being a Christian is that Christianity serves as an alternative to the other versions of life that we've been told, not as an add-on. And this is really, really important as we start to think about faith at a basic level, is Christianity for you an add-on, meaning your beliefs are syncretistic, you've added a whole bunch of things into one, or is it the alternative to the other options of life that you know about, been given, thought through? Is it an alternative, or is it simply just for you an add-on? Think about this in kind of practical terms, although I hate to make things super practical when you're talking about basics like this, uh, because uh, sometimes, you know, uh, we, we get uh, locked in in behavior and not in just the basic, you know, kind of way of thinking. Is your work devoid of Christ? Or is it a place you see yourself actually giving life to the world, to the people around you? This is one of the hardest parts for many of us who graduated. We got into the 40-hour work week, and it's like work seems devoid of Christ. As if Christ came to give life to everything but our workplace. <laughs> he was like, that's the one thing. Sorry, but it is out of my hands. <laughs> Not going to happen. So is our work devoid of Christ? Or do we see it as a place where we're in the, the action, the, the cooperation with God of giving life to our world and the people around us. Jesus didn't just come to give life, but he gave it to the fullest. Of course he came to give it to the fullest. <laughs> he's the only one that can give it life at all. Okay. And so he's coming and giving life and giving it to the full. Do our friendships look like Christ or do we look more like American friendships? 
Because American friendships will give some life and some, you know, respite and uh, and a fresh breath of uh, or breath of fresh air. But if they're really ultimately not based on Christ, what life do they ultimately give us? What 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 is is it there the maximum life that we can get? The actual kind of relationship that's far deeper than the kinds of relationship that's sort of a natural, stereotypical relationship in our society, particularly because we're so individualistic and skeptical of each other and in constant competition and things like that. So do our friendships really look like Christ, that kind of self-giving, trusting type love, moving forward, or more like American friendships? So he came to give life to the world. The second point here, and this is one's a little bit tricky. But just like in syncretism, there's a lot of con- contradictions. Sometimes in just thinking about the basics of Christianity, there seem to be some surface level contradictions. And what I would encourage you, I remember sitting uh, with Lawrence Glenesque, who's one of our campus ministers uh, now at uh, SMU. He was a freshman. We were at IHOP. God rest its soul. It doesn't exist anymore in its beautiful form that it once was. How many of you are around and you remember the old IHOP? Not that nasty new one on Razor Ranch. Um, and we were talking about the contradictions in the New Testament. And we had a guy, and I've told this story before, but sitting across from us, cowboy hat, who kept interrupting us. <laughs> Every time I mentioned surface level contradictions, saying there's no contradictions in the scripture. And I just, it was, oh, I, we had to just get up and move eventually, because just would, we could not get past this man uh, heckling us about contradictions in scripture. And, uh, you know, to me, this is someone who just doesn't want to look too far into Scripture. Uh, I want to believe something very, very tight, perfect. Uh, uh, Bibliolatry is the term where the Bible itself is an idol. idol. And, uh, you know, if you're not finding contradictions in what Scripture says, you're often not paying attention to uh, what is actually going on. And I would say that you would always lean into what seems like contradictions to you uh, because it's really helpful for getting to some deeper truth about what's going on. The scripture is very human in the sense that God chose human authors and very divine in the sense that the spirit led them to write what they wrote, but they wrote in her human words, divine and spirit. Hmm. Have we figured something else like that? Oh, right. That's Jesus, right? The hundred percent divinity, hundred percent human. Yeah. So surprising that we're still having arguments about that. But we do. And so there's contradictions in those contradictions. Uh, uh, surface level are ones that we have to actually go through and look through and make sense of. One of the ones that's mentioned a lot in a book that I teach, The Apprenticeship, called Elmer Gantry. It's a book about a bunch of ministers. And uh, is this passage that we're about to read, John 12, 42. I, is that train coming or is that a motorcycle? It's a plane. None of the above. No, I, this isn't a test. I'm not, I wasn't testing you. It's just... Who wants to be a millionaire? All right. 12. John 12. In verse, um, let's see. My gosh, this one's so long. I really got to write references here. (laughs) What's wrong with me? Honestly, don't even know where this is. So you guys are just have to find this for me. This is going to be a help your pastor day find scripture because he doesn't re- reference scripture <laughs> accurately. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing, bad thing. Um, so anyway, uh, Jesus talks about both coming to uh, judge the world and not judge the world. Con- I, I've not come to condemn the world, but he says, I thought it was in John 12. Maybe I'm just crazy, man. I'll tell you the truth. 47. 
Boom. Man. Okay. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me, and uh, which is the very word I spoke will condemn him at the last day. You know, I, I figured out what it is. It's my eyesight's actually going bad. This is a sign of me getting closer and closer to 40. Uh, I can't read these teeny tiny uh, words and uh, numbers. So, okay. Here I am. Who, who, who would have a lot? Who would have, what? Who would have believed? I'm getting older. Can't see anything. So Jesus says he's come both to, uh, you know, judge and not to judge. So what do we make of this? I, I think it's actually fairly simple uh, that Jesus in his actual presence here was not at all about judging the world. In fact, <laughs> in a reversal to show just how good God's character is, he came to be judged by the world. <laughs> uh, you can't make this stuff up. It's insane to show the world just how wrong a judge it was actually. But he does say that his words will be the very judge that judges people at the end. Now, Jesus says a lot about his words. He talks about they're going to last forever. His words are the ones that we ought to obey, uh, that we base our life on. But when he came, he didn't come to judge the world. He came to bring life. He didn't just come to say, you guys have done all this stuff wrong for all this time, and you're going to hell. <laughs> He says, I've come to be judged by you so that you can be convicted that there's an alternative way of life and that I am that alternative way of life. So here's your chance to follow. And the judge will be the very life that I gave you up front so that you know what's right and wrong in the world. You know, if the world was a bad place at that point and at that time, he would have just obliterated it. Why even wait to a second coming? No, God did not find the world to be bad at that time and fully and only bad, because if it was beyond repair and only bad, he wouldn't have sent his son to do what he did. He sent his son to give the world an opportunity to understand who God is. And James tells us that with Jesus, that he's the exact representation of God, that he's the best that we're going to get uh, on this uh, side of uh, death to be able to know who God is and be able to model our lives after him. Okay. So his patience is uh, what's so important here. And it's part of the reasons why, or part of the reason why I read that passage is God's patience is what drives him to do what he does in Jesus, to give us life and to give us more chances to know how we ought to live and who he is. You really read back through the prophets, the very scriptures that so many people, Christians and non-Christians alike, to use uh, to show how judgmental and condemning God is, <laughs> which is ironic. But again, a lack of reading, pretty clear reading in this case, not even a very deep reading. God is waiting over and over for hundreds and hundreds of years and showing patience to the people who he's picked out to be representatives to the world. Patience over and over and over again. God is driven not by an idea of condemning mankind, but patience with him. Radical patience, absurd patience, the kind of patience that none of us, even on our best day, have ever had, <laughs> even remotely. Okay? God is not a condemning God, but a God that has come patiently to instruct us. And that's what he's doing here through Jesus and giving us words, giving us opportunity, clear opportunity. 
to live as we were meant to live. Okay, so again, I ask you this question. Is your work full of patience and careful instruction or careless words? Work full of patience. And this one really hit home with me. So even if I'm just speaking to myself here, um, it was worth it. Is your work full of patience and careful instruction in the same way that our God is patient and careful in his instruction or full of careless words? You know, one of the things I think in our syncretistic beliefs and even in our practical American thinking, we often think that the um, the ends justify the means kind of a practical way of thinking. If we can just get someone here, so much of evangelism throughout the ages seems to have been about this kind of this mentality. If we can just get people say it doesn't really matter how we do it. <laughs> if we need to yell at them on the square, we'll do it. If we need to sort of make the gospel into virtually just sort of like a quick commitment, don't pay much attention to anything bad that's going on, water it down, we'll do it. So did the ends justify the means argument, right? If we could just get people there. Many of us, if we're uh, honest, that's kind of our basic political uh, mantra. If we can just get people to believe what we believe, if we could just get the person that we want voted into office. It doesn't matter how we do it. Let's just do it and get it there. Guys, this is the opposite of how the gospel is supposed to interact with culture and with people around them. The means showcase the ends in the gospel. They showcase the ends. What that means is that if you want someone to really get to where you want them to be, show them in the means, the journey part of it. You know, there's all those like weird statements about in motorcycle riding in particular, which is funny because you've got these you know, uh, gruff men with these funny little stickers that say it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. You're like, all right, that was a cool deal to put on your jacket, motorcycle jacket. Um, I think my dad has one. Uh, sorry, dad. Uh, I don't know about that. I'm pretty sure I've seen that on one of your bags. Um, anyway, it's fine. So that's the idea. Do you understand the difference? When the ends justify the means, we'll do anything we can to get to a place as if that place was all that mattered in the first place. The gospel's means showcase the ends. It's that quote that I love so much that's on Ryan's shelf uh, or high up on the wall talking about how if you want, you know, uh, to recruit a bunch of sailors, you don't, you know, uh, assign them to go build a boat. You develop in them a deep longing of the sea and they'll go build the boat as sort of like a second thing. I mean, they're not even going to pay attention to it. They love the sea so much. The boat's not a big deal. But if you start with the boat, people are going to be bored out of their mind trying to build a boat. And they don't even know why they're trying to build a boat. This is like the basic mantra to use that word the second or third time of work in America today. <laughs> no one really knows the end of their work. They just know that they're supposed to be doing work. Uh, and so they do it. But this is a really important point and uh, of this idea is that the means uh, and by which we live showcase this end. If people in our means uh, don't ultimately want anything to do with Jesus, we've got a real problem with how we're doing life. Uh, as Paul would say, you know, your, the good deeds that you do uh, should ultimately showcase your life to other people. And so this is the real challenge for us in this Christianity isn't just another religion for a time frame, a time purpose. It doesn't serve some small purpose in our lives and add on a badge flair. Uh, this is an alternate way uh, of ultimately living.
one that's very, very different than what other religions have talked about, um, and particularly our cultural religion talks about in terms of faith. So those are the two. Uh, Jesus gives life to the world, and he came to judge and not judge. You can deal with that one, okay? Judge uh, later on in terms of giving us a standard and by which to live, and not judge in that is, uh, you know, what he did for us is, is, is his patience from God, giving us one more opportunity after another opportunity to really serve him. Any questions before we uh, take communion and end it up? Yes, no, maybe so? Yeah. What's another level? I love how sometimes the questions are completely unrelated to what I talked about. Yes, I think uh, it just... I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> People are like, well, I didn't really like what you said, but it did click an idea in my head. And so I'm like, let's talk about that in a second. The question was, what are some other surface level contradictions uh, in, in scripture? Uh, probably one of the most obvious ones is, did Jesus come to unite us or did he come to divide us? Right? Because he talks about both. Uh, uniting people and drawing people together in close relationships, but then also dividing family member from family member. Um, but there's a list. In fact, if you just go to any, uh, I don't know, pretty thoughtful atheistic or uh, agnostic website that talks about contradictions in the scripture, uh, ones again that are thoughtful, they're not just trying to make arguments. Um, you'll be able to honestly find all kinds of, uh, you know, contradictions, so to speak, in scripture. And when they're passage contradictions where they're just like a word and another word and they just like go together, it's usually just a you know, misinterpretation of what's being said. We're talking more here about like ideas, ideas that get us to something much deeper, um, like what we've talked about with the divide and unite and the uh, judge and not judge. Any other questions? Yeah. Okay. So if people have trouble with our means and they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, then we have a, a problem. Uh, if our means aren't ultimately showcasing how heaven is going to be, who God is going to be, uh, it's just simply an add-on. We're just doing American life plus a little bit of Christianity, and, and we're, we wonder why people aren't impressed with it. Uh, that's why they're not impressed, because it's ultimately not an alternative lifestyle. We're not actually showing anything alternative to what people already have. We're simply just showing them a, a, a little tweak, a little, this path's a little better than your path. Save you, you know, shave a little bit of time off. And they're like, yeah, maybe, but my path's like a little bit more scenic. So I think I'm going to continue on that one. Because that's what syncretism ultimately does to the gospel, is it destroys its ability to give anybody an alternative to what they're already doing. I'm not saying that everybody chooses it just because there's an alternative, but I'm saying if we haven't even offered the alternative in the first place, there's nothing to choose. People are just simply saying, this is your way of doing this. This is the American Christian way of doing this. <laughs> That's not enough. American Christianity is not Christianity and never will be. It's just that. It's American with some Christianity sprinkled on top. And, uh, and if we don't, aren't truly living this sort of alternative lifestyle that Jesus gives us, we really, again, we're not giving anybody an opportunity to see who God is. That's the idea of the means um, showcasing the ends. Uh, that's really the gospel story is Jesus came to show us what God is like and how heaven's going to be. And anytime you go to a conference or you go to a gathering of other Christians uh, and you walk away with this sort of sense that, you know, the spirit is here and this is what's going on. That's what we're talking about. Now, sometimes that's an overwhelming feeling, uh, which is always, you know, perfect litmus test. We're talking about experiencing uh, what heaven's going to be like. When you get to see a story on a movie or something and someone, the character is sort of like a Messiah figure, you know, 
you're getting to kind of sense, you know, the sort of deeper truths in these stories. Other, uh, other questions before we end off? No? Okay. Well, I'm going to say a prayer and then uh, we're going to uh, take communion together. And I'm just going to lead us in that time. Again, I want you to think through this question uh, that I gave you in second Peter. What does it look like that in God being slow to accomplish his pro- uh, promises as some people would think, what does that mean in terms of his patience for other people? I want you to just try to answer that. It's kind of a cerebral question, but you don't have to, to attack it from just a thinking perspective. Maybe your question is simply, God, there's so many things I want you to do faster. Help me understand how your slowness, as I perceive it, is contributing to people ultimately coming to know who you are. All right? So we'll take like two or three minutes. And certainly if you have something that you need to, to share with someone right next to you, or if you want to just clarify the question, because half the time I ask a question, people are like, what's happening? What are you saying? <laughs> uh, that's fair too. So feel free. This is to be a silent time. You can certainly talk, but we're going to break from there. All right. So uh, I'll say a prayer. Uh, the reference again is second Peter three, nine. And, uh, and then thank you guys again for coming out this morning and we'll meet again next week. Same time. Uh, God, thank you for uh, giving us an alternative uh, to the life um, that is only life in a worldly setting and in a worldly sense. Lord, help us understand this. It gets so wrapped up in um, just trying to kind of live out a different lifestyle when we've chosen to be informed by so many other lifestyles. And it's easy just to add you as... um, one more quick help tip, self-help guidebook, and not really live out that true alternative uh, way of doing life. A life that really showcases uh, who you are and, and what you have for us. Um, but help us not to mix and match ideas, but to be able to confidently judge them with your words, what ideas come from you and what ideas don't that we can really live out the gospel, um, the good news of who you are in the world around us. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.